Welcome back. We are the Film Drifters. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is, of course, Will. Ladies and gentlemen, if I don't sound as enthusiastic today, it's because two of the films that we had to watch uh, really just wrecked me. So Yeah. And Will is also really tired because he was... Uh, just got done cocking Fixing his toilet. To- toilet. Cocking my toilet. Yes. You had to say it. <laughs> Dang it. Had to get that in there. <laughs> but anyway, today we will be reviewing the films Pieces of a Woman. See, we have to Ugh. inject some humor into this episode, right? Ugh. Anyway, we're reviewing the films Pieces of a Woman, then the documentary Assassins. And Ugh. we're going to take a little bit of a break, actually, in the middle of it all, to be bringing you an interview session that I had with Joe Sale, who plays Kyler in the popular show Cobra Kai. So that was really exciting to record. We'll be bringing you that as well. And of course, coming back for her second time for her sophomore effort is Kat Loznikova. Welcome dun, back. Dun, 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 Kat Loznikova. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, that was such a good intro. Can you that do was. that again every Please. time I come on? Um, did, it sound, did it sound Russian enough? It D- sounds or? like you rushed through it, so slow oh, it down. Sorry. No, I'm so excited to be back, you guys. Thanks for having me. I'm actually shocked uh, you wanted to have me back. That means you're shocked. (laughs) Stop it. That means you still have listeners. And then I think maybe after today, we'll actually get them all gone after we review (laughs) these two very depressing films. You're so self sabotaging. You need to stop it. No, honestly, we had so much fun with you the last time. We were just like, we have to have her back. So even though we're covering some pretty depressing works in this episode, I think we're going to have, have fun. We're going to have some fun. I'll crack That's some a promise. jokes. Yes, yes. Very sad fun. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, before we get to the reviews, as always, we're going to get started with a rundown on the latest in entertainment news. So what's a single gal like you doing rattling around this big house? Well, I assure you, I'm married to a man, a human one. One. We are an unusual couple. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. We just don't know what to expect. The first thing I want to talk about is WandaVision. This is the first series that's supposed to kick off a whole slew of other MCU shows on Disney+. Plus, But, I mean, just from the trailer, it's obvious this is something that's really, really, really different. I mean, it was so different that I was really interested. Like, okay, this is something new. Like, it's good to see that they're venturing out and they're not just going to make an hour-long action show, you know? The first two episodes are 30 minutes long each, and they basically turned it into, like, a 50 sitcom. And the first episode was heavy, heavily influenced by, like, I Dream of Genie and I Love Lucy, and there's, like, a laugh track in the background. It was just so weird, and I just don't know what to make of it. You know, so I'm hoping that as the show goes on, that they'll start giving me some more answers because so far it's just it's just really weird. It's just like, you know, you're watching like a Nick at Night show and then all of a sudden we're seeing these like little elements of like danger or espionage or like some sort of secret uh, evil force in the background that's like pulling the strings. But there's just not enough of that so far. I've seen two episodes and I'm just completely confused. When I watched the trailer... Uh, I thought this is a sense of like the twilight zone. I yeah. think that's that's what it feels like to me. B- because it, like you said, I agree. Even just by watching the trailer, not the episode itself, it seemed way too campy and also very much, you know, sitcom-y. You know, all like the whole sitcom vibe. This ha- this has to be an illusion somehow. So. Yeah. Our, our main characters, of course, Vision and the Scarlet Witch, apparently. Uh, well, Scarlet Witch, at least, she's trapped in some sort of weird dream world and someone is doing doing this to her obviously vision is no longer with us may he rest in peace but uh yeah so i i just want some more answers and i hope they're coming really 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 soon uh would love to hear your thoughts though any of our listeners if you've seen the first two episodes i would love to hear what you think and if, if you think this is just really 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 cool really really confusing or maybe a little bit of both um, another thing i want to talk about is this the night stalker documentary on netflix Summer streets and the pavements are burning, I said. In the 1980s, we were proud of the city. L.A. was glamorous. But if you went around to the other side... 
L.A. could be a very dark place. I was on the freeway, and here comes somebody speeding, and all of a sudden he just swerves around my car. It's like he's right there, like a moment stop. And he has this horrible big grin, and he's missing all these teeth. He just stared at me like a killer clown. You got us a serial killer. There was no doubt about it. This was a pretty sick individual. The so-called night stalker who has terrorized California. The same man is suspected in six to eight murders and 25 to 30 attacks. He's someone that will go into a home at night and will kill. I woke up to a very loud noise to which I responded, John, and immediately I knew it wasn't John, but something was there. Now, if you guys are true crime buffs, like Cat is, I'm sure you've already finished it. Cat's more like a crime junkie. Yeah. Like How'd a, you know? <laughs> like this is things that she would shoot up her veins, you know. Like this yeah. is her drug addiction. <laughs> That's a very visceral uh, example. Very and very visceral. accurate. Yes. <laughs> but I want to ask you, Kat. So a lot of uh, people are saying that they've gone too far. They're glorifying the violence. There's too much of it. They're glorifying the Night Stalker. You've seen this show. What do you think of it? Well, whoever is saying that um, is wrong. Because if they actually paid attention to what was going on, there's no glorification of him. It actually ends, um, spoiler warning, uh, with every single person on camera talking about how he is evil and how awful he is and that there, he had no redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. So um, where... I could have done maybe without the first two episodes. I think they provided some of the backstory, but the biggest culmination was in the end. And crime is not a happy subject. Um, Obviously, it's made for TV. Um, A lot of the crime scene photos were blurred out, although some were shown. But I think when you sign up to watch a crime, a true crime documentary, like you need to expect to see gore. Throughout the show, they concentrate just how evil he is and how no normal, quote unquote, human being could ever be capable of doing what he did. Also watching it like... Um, of course, towards the end, they say women glorified him and sent him like nudes. And yeah, if- that was weird. Didn't he marry a fan or something? Yeah, and yeah. but so many other people do, like Manson and yep. Bundy. Yep. It's just be somehow it's like this. Um, aura of the bad boy who you know who's famous, and these women <laughs> want to get a little bit of this taste of fame i guess um i literally said that to my girlfriend i was like why do women always like the bad boys (laughs) but listen he was also six one like come on like that uh, yes and he had these beautiful locks and while watching it like you look at him and he's so dark in the eyes and you know he's evil and you just think to yourself god like if only if only you had a different family, you would have had such a great career as a fashion model. <laughs> oh, interesting. Because I mean, Myron did the... mention, Myron did mention he had really nice high cheekbones. He has yeah. cheekbones. He has the hair. He has the height. Not like, the teeth. Not the teeth. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's one of the facts about him that has stuck out to me throughout the time of knowing about him and the crimes that he committed, that all of his surviving victims, uh, when describing him, talked about how foul his breath smelled because his teeth were rotting, like truly rotting. And that's how they were able to like compile so many cases against him. What I actually found very interesting, that reporter talks about how she has a cat and how sometimes in the middle of the night, her cat jumps on her bed and like wakes her up and she sees these wild eyes. And she just thinks to herself like, I know what it would feel like to be the cat spray, like a bird or a mouse. And she goes, that's how his victims felt in the middle of the night when you suddenly wake up and there are these wild like animal eyes just staring at you and you feel like helpless. 
Yeah. Oof. Oh boy, that is an image that I want to get out of my mind very, very quickly. <laughs> Can you um, imagine? It was, <laughs> it was an intense. It was. Thanks for that, cat. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Wow. I don't know if we should go on more. Um, yeah. But I want to be able to sleep tonight, guys. <laughs> I yeah. will say though, for like, for, for, if anything though, it is worth the watch though. It is a really good yeah. crime documentary for sure. Yeah, I remember I was a kid just, uh, you know, seeing his picture in the newspaper and just seeing his face, that, that drawing of that face, you know, in, in the nightly news. It was, yeah, I still remember that really vividly. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, you have now heard that Myron was around when the Night Stalker was. Yes, I was alive. Do was the alive. math on age. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, that was our rundown. We talked about WandaVision as well as the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix. Now a look at future episodes. Next up, we will be reviewing two films on Amazon Prime. First is One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. And secondly, we will be reviewing the film Mangrove, which is part one of the small act series. And uh, that is basically a series of, I think, four or five, actually five films, all directed by Steve McQueen. He directed 12 Years a Slave. The small act series actually was just voted best picture from the LA Film Critics Circle. So we're excited to be reviewing that. Now, there's this big controversy going around here. They're asking the question, is... The Small Act series, is that a miniseries or is it a series of films? Because obviously it wouldn't be able to get nominated for an Academy Award if it's considered a miniseries by its voters. But I think once we give it a watch, we'll have some more information and, and we'll be able to give you guys what our thoughts are. And then the week after that, we will be reviewing the film Minari. And additional content in that episode is still to be determined. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of our content? Drop us a line at contact us at thefilmdrifters.com. And please tell your friends about us. Our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, as well as Spotify. And now on to our very first review. <sighs> Get a box of Kleenex because we're going to be reviewing Pieces of a Woman. Here's a look at the trailer. I wanted to stay at home. She sounds really good. Hi, baby. I wanted the baby to decide when she wanted to come. My daughter came into this world. For the time that she did. bring her back. We are back. That was a look at the trailer for Pieces of a Woman starring Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf as well as Ellen Burstyn. This is what the movie's about. A young mother's home birth ends in unfathomable tragedy and she begins a year-long odyssey of mourning that fractures relationships with loved ones in this deeply personal story of a woman learning to live alongside her loss. Now, we all watched this film on Netflix and uh, I think we all reacted somewhat similarly but uh, i wanted to first hand the baton off over to you will what did you think about this movie gosh thanks for the suggestion cat by the way this episode is brought to you by cat who uh suggested both of these films just saying yeah. anyways <laughs> i actually loved the majority of all the technical okay. aspects of this film yes the cinematography had lovely muted tones to give off a dark and moody vibe that added well to the story uh, the Maison scene was well-framed and beautifully shot. I love the opening scene of the long Steadicam take at the construction yeah. site. It had great momentum and introduced Shia's character, Sean, seamlessly. I I also loved how there were a lot of shots that looked to be on Steadicam. The subtle yeah. looseness gave it an organic and humanistic touch, and the editing also worked out so well with the Steadicam shots. It yeah. moved the story forward and cons and constantly kept you with the emotional tension of the characters and the story. So I, I when I actually watched it twice, when I watched it again, I was just looking at the movements of, of all the shots, and I was like, wow. It, it was just well blocked every time, just mm -hmm. the way how everything was mm -hmm. moving. The film successfully messed me up. So when I knew Vanessa Kirby plays uh, who plays Martha was going to lose her baby I didn't know how was it how it was going to happen but like as the labor was going 
my mind was stressing and my body was getting more and more tense. Uh, <laughs> then when things seemed to turn out fine, like I was like, oh, okay, baby's breathing. Oh, look, they're taking photos. And Martha, you know, held the baby in her arms. I had a quick sense of relief and then immediately stress again because I thought, wait, how the frick is this baby going to die? <laughs> then you hear the baby struggle to breathe and talk about doing us dirty freaking director <laughs> my gosh are you serious you know uh, i'm gonna jump in like yeah. i really did uh, respond uh strongly to the uh, use of camera like you were seeing in the opening scene mm -hmm. it was long takes uh but it was seamless and it wasn't so perfect as to take you out of it there was a beauty in the imperfection of how the 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 camera was uh, being used, yep. but yet at the same time, you could tell they blocked this thing out like meticulously because if someone messed up or someone wasn't in the right place, it, it was almost as if you would have had to do the whole thing over. And for a fact, I know that first, uh, you know, child, child deliveries, it take a long time. It takes hours and hours and hours. Obviously, that's all really condensed down for, this, for the purposes of this movie, but it still felt long and harrowing. So really big props to uh, the director and the actors that, that really were in the moment. Uh, the yep. camera work was fantastic. The cinematographer, yep. Yeah. I loved it, yeah. And, and I just love you. Talk about the moment. I mean, we're not giving anything away. The whole movie is about uh, you know a child that passes uh, right after it's delivered, but uh, just the way that that is shown, you know, like you said, the child is crying, the child's breathing, and then it cuts away to the midwife, and she looks happy, and then she, her face just starts, you know, she, oh she my starts gosh, to get nervous. That freaking moment! Uh. Yeah, and then she says, "Call an ambulance," and then the camera like whip pans back around, and the baby's like turning blue, and uh, you know the. The emotional side of me is completely wrecked, and and then the technical side is like, oh, they hit that cut really well because they probably swapped the baby out for a blue one or something. But uh, while wiping you know. tears off your eyes, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just so much. great. But oh my gosh, this baby. Yeah, and there was another sequence where I thought the camera work was just as amazing, and it's this like uh, harrowing dinner scene, or maybe it's like a, a lunch scene when they mm. go to uh, visit Ellen Burstyn's home, who plays. Um, uh, Vanessa Kirby's mother yeah and uh, the whole scene is blocked out to be basically we see how it's registering on Martha and uh, what it's doing to her and the way the camera just follows her and we hear the voices even though we don't see the characters where they're at and the way the camera moves in and out it's it was just beautifully shot so so good so yeah talking about the cast uh man so well put together for sure Ellen Burstein who plays Elizabeth, like you said, the mother Martha. She yeah. executes her role as the wealthy, resilient, tough Holocaust survivor so well in contrast to Martha, who becomes withdrawn and numb from everyone after the loss of her baby. Like, mm -hmm. you can totally see how the relationship is. And I'm not going to give away this one scene, but the one, the, the main scene that you guys remember where Martha uh, is being conf confronted mm -hmm. by her mother, right, in her situation... Like for me, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Why don't you freaking listen to your mother right here? Like, are you serious? Like, yes, right? But I understand. I understand also from from Martha's point of view, like how she's deal, how she has to deal with her loss in that sense. So I'm not. I'm just. I'm just letting you know that was a powerful scene in general. So go watch that. I think it was such a powerful standoff between these two very yes. different women in mm -hmm. these very different times. Her mother went through. Holocaust yep. and she's living in modern day and you know there's no right or wrong way of living like you know alongside loss or grief it's just mm -hmm. right. and you can't project your like qualities onto someone else especially when they're in your family um shy and vanessa they go hand in hand, giving us a performance, giving us a performance of amazing tension stemming from Shia's need for her to come back and be warmed and cold towards him, and Vanessa not realizing the damage she's doing to her relationships because of her emotional numbness. I thought that was so well acted out, and, and just seeing Shia's vulnerability and seeing like just how much she was basically dying inside from from wanting her uh, from wanting his his uh, his his partner back you know it, it just seemed like he just ran ran out of idea he just gave he just seemed like he was helpless obviously yeah. like it's just complete helplessness um yeah the these one, uh yeah, these yeah. characters um you know namely uh sean and uh martha, martha they do really terrible 
despicable things, yeah. but I can't hate either of them. And I feel like the way that it portrays grief is just so real because it's like, you know, the outsider would think, oh, they're a married couple. They will get through this together. They will support each other. But so much, so many times in life when we're hit with something that we uh, have to struggle with or have to grieve over, I mean, we kind of go inside ourselves and we have to deal with this and process this on our own in whatever flawed ways that, you know, we deal with them. And that's the thing I felt like it portrayed grief so well that I couldn't hate them for whatever they did. And they do some pretty shitty things, but like, you know, I couldn't look away because I just wanted them to get better. Um, and I feel like for myself, at least if I'm watching this movie and if I didn't care about the characters, if mm -hmm. I didn't believe in what they're going through, if I wasn't there right there with them, I would have turned the movie off. Cause I'd just be like, these people are terrible. They're, yeah. they're just being cold to each other and they're not working things out. But because they were so good, I totally bought in and I just wanted them to get better. Well, I think at the top of the movie, we get the, probably one of the most important messages for the film. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's visually gray, but when they go to buy the baby car, they talk about the car as being very gray, just like the movie is gray. So we can't oh. hate them or we can't like them. Like, you know, because it's all on the spectrum. They have all of these shades. So the whole film is not black and white. It's not, there's not yeah. a single protagonist yeah. or, you know, good guy, bad guy, he's evil, whatever. It's all on the spectrum of this gray. And they actually address it. They're like, oh yeah, it's very gray. That's a yeah. good. That's a great point. I mean, this film is definitely not one for escapism. <laughs> it definitely isn't something that that you go to you know, enjoy and escape your real the, the reality of your life. It really, it really gives you perspective of what life can be if if you're not really prepared for it. And also, did did Martha ever find out? You know, tell me if this might be a little spoiler, but did Martha ever find out about the deal her mom made with Sean? I don't know if you want to talk about the ending of the film without spoiling it, but I think we're supposed to as, and I want to ask you guys what you thought happens in the end, uh, mm -hmm. is that her child with someone new or is it her child with Sean? With Sean. That was bothering me. That I, was like, I don't think it's with be Sean because she. I feel like, he took the money and he left her alone because it was just crumbling. And I think she started mm. over and I'll give some more evidence in a little bit, but I truly believe she just started over a new life with someone else. Well, yeah. the evidence that you're going to provide, hopefully you can explain then the part where he, Sean leaves his beanie, right? And That's you see just her wearing I, it. I think right? it's honestly just two people who were together, who grew apart, and that was just maybe one keepsake that he could give to her in the moment. Yeah. Um, mm. It's just, I don't think there's more to that, and I can be wrong, but it's just almost like he's so upset with her, you know, for dropping him off at the airport, and he knows it's ending, and he knows he took the money, so maybe he has all this guilt, and all he can do is just, like, throw something at her. Yeah, That's I what... I, that's what I think, but again, I might be wrong. That's just my interpretation because they yeah, exchanged yeah. no words. There was no, no words when there's she exactly nothing, and that that was the only part that I just didn't like so much as well. It was just I I, I I'm okay with a certain amount of vagueness, but this was like vague. Like yeah. it's just sure here it is. This is what happened. You decide what you know what the outcome is, and I'm like, no, this is too depressing for me to want to process. Like, give me, give me some clarity. I need clarity. I need closure. But so, yeah, I want to talk about the ending here. So, I was okay with the vagueness because for me, the full character arc came to its like fruition in the courtroom when Martha stands up, and I know where we're gonna just get into it this is a spoiler filled episode here but when martha sticks up for the midwife in the courtroom i feel yes. at that point she's come full circle so at that point like whatever happens at the end like it doesn't really matter as much to me even though i want her to find peace but in the end like the whole movie pretty much takes place in like gloomy boston right it's just there's never any sunshine until the end and then we we see that you know this little girl is climbing like an apple tree and then we find out that she's Martha's and Martha then calls out to her, it's time for lunch. And then, you know, they go off and walk into the sunset. Now, 
Was this the right ending for the movie? I'm very curious to hear what you guys think. I think um, they thought this was the right ending for the movie if we're following the whole Apple secondary plot. Of course, then yes. If we're going along the film, no. If we're following the little nibbles of the Apple metaphor throughout the film, then yes, the not ending fits. But also, are we sure that that child is Martha's? I, in my opinion, think it is. But I wanted to throw it out to you guys and see if maybe that child is her sister's, for example. Or, mm. you know, like, because that also is open-ended. Man, it's it's kind of frustrating for me to think about it now again. Like, I just like, who is freaking the father of Lucy? Like, I just like want to know. And and just like, what happened with Sean? He just left and we don't never see him again. Like, where is he? You know? Yeah. So it, it's yeah. just those little things. Yeah. For me, this ending that we got isn't the ending the movie deserved, but the ending that the viewers probably wanted. Um, and I think it's vague because if they were very on the nose with it, it might have come off as just too much. And it was probably done intentionally so that we're able to kind of, you know, of bring course. our own judgments to what we're seeing. Yeah. But still, I'm okay with the movie being vague at the end. What I'm not okay with is how they tried to, I think, give us what we wanted. And the entire movie, they didn't do that. And it wasn't a movie that tried to even be anything close to that. It, there's no fan service in this movie whatsoever. So why give it to us at the end? So that bothered me a little bit. And also... Um, the whole Apple metaphor thing, it didn't really hit home for me the way that I really? think it, it was intended. Oh, interesting. I kind of liked it. I, I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So for me, a, a lot of things worked well, and the director succeeded hugely on multiple levels here. But the Apple thing, no, not for me. And I wanted to also talk about some of like the storytelling elements that they worked in sure. that were so subtle, like at mm -hmm. the baby shower party, when we see that cake, there's like a knife <laughs> yeah. next to the baby. Or when she goes to see the medic, she walks in with like perfectly polished nails. And then you can see she like ripped it all off while talking to him. And it's just those subtleties were amazing to me. Or during labor, that first scene, um, a lot of the dialogue, um, it's kind of muffled, but we know what they're saying almost because we've all been there and that's how we all communicate with a lot of hmm and us and, you know, a lot of gesturing. And that made the film feel very real to me so much so that yeah. that first scene, I'm we've talked about this last time, how I'm not emotional. But once she delivered that baby and like Will, you said she was holding it in her arms and I was like, wow, there it is. Um, and I was like, wait, what movie am I watching? Isn't the baby, isn't she supposed to lose the baby? And I, at that moment, I was like, I cannot believe what they're about to do to us and to them. Yeah. And I just started <laughs> yes. bawling. Mother I just efforts. started uh, bawling. And I, it's almost like, gosh. I wish I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen because oh, yeah, it, that's like almost, that spoiler uh, from the trailer and the description of the movie, like builds you up to know, and you're so happy for them when they, you know, yeah hold that baby and you know they're about to lose it i lost it myself damn it they got us they got us so good it was so bad that it was good it was oh man yeah. i have to add yeah. to you that vanessa kirby's physical acting in that you know her burping and mm -hmm. gagging just her whole so real it, it pulls you in it yeah. more really intimate in. more yes. real yes oh my gosh yeah i want to talk about chaya in this i mean i'll watch anything he's in but i feel like he he really sticks out to me here because he did a lot with less, of course, you know, Vanessa Kirby's character and her relationship with her mother, um, Elizabeth, played by Ellen Burstyn. Of course, those are two very well fleshed out roles on the on the page. I feel like Shia really brought a lot uh, to this character. Maybe he might have been a little underwritten. Who knows? But he seemed like this gruff, kind of temperamental, emotional guy that... Almost like if you look at him and her, you would think, oh, she's too good for him, right? Mm. And there are so many levels that are working that aren't just like immediately like, you know, brought to the forefront. Like, for example, I was asking myself, like, why would she end up with a guy like this? You know, she seems like she works in an office. She's smart. She's, she's beautiful. She's an executive. Shia, yeah. Yeah. 
Shy is like this gruff, like bearded guy that's like temperamental worker. and cusses. And then towards the middle of the movie, I totally figured it out. It's like she married this guy as a screw you to her mom, it, almost as an act of rebellion. Oh. I felt like that was one big kind of undertone to kind of what was happening. So, yeah, and it's just his insecurity and just how he fleshed that out. And I know a lot of guys that are more like him than like, you know, the, the perfect uh, male that would be 100% supportive in, in a situation like this. And just seeing him like leave the house and just cry, you know, as he's like watching the sunrise, just seeing scenes like this was uh, very, very interesting and uh, big, big props to him. And I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, Benny Safdie was in this movie, played uh, Martha's brother-in-law. You guys remember him? Yeah. He was, uh, he was in uh, Good Time. He played Rob Pattinson's half-brother. He had the oh, learning wow. disability. In that. What remember the him? flip? Yeah. What know, the heck? Right? I did not recognize. I just and then he's, loved yeah. the, um, the actress from Succession being in this um, as the lawyer. Um, I yeah. love Succession. I cannot remember her character's name in, in the yeah. show, but um, it was interesting to watch her in this role. Any, any other thoughts, good or bad, that you guys want to add to this review of the film? Um, it was definitely a two-hour emotional ride, for sure. Two hours of just your emotions being, like, all over, the like, just on all sides of the spectrum. But what I liked from the characters, that a lot of it was, like, quiet emotion. Like, we were feeling it, but they were not loud about expressing it. Does that does that somehow make sense? Um, yes, it yeah. completely makes sense. Yeah, okay. and the filmmaking added to that because you knew what they were going for and going through. So it's like you know, if we're in the in their shoes, then we don't have we don't need a lot from them. They can internalize it, you know. And I think yeah, the movie did a really good job. Yeah, so we so. definitely like felt it all and that's what made yeah. it so um, intense. But um, on the happier note, I do think the message of it is that time heals all wounds. Of really. Course. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it was a hard watch for me. I mean, we're having a baby in five weeks. So I, when I finished it, here's the thing. Okay, we're having a baby in five weeks. If I wasn't drawn to the characters and if I wasn't just deeply invested into what happens to them, I would have stopped this movie because mm. it's not fun and I don't want to get in the headspace that I was. I didn't want to get it, go there, um, but I was almost still willing to go there because I wanted to walk with these characters and see what they went through. And that, to me, is a true compliment to the filmmaking and to the performances that it got someone like me in my position still really caring about what happened to these people. Um, I was really deeply upset at the end of the movie. Not upset as in angered, but just like unsettled and just emotional when this film ended. Uh, and I'm still thinking about it because I don't remember a movie that dealt with people's grief and how people, you know, react in a flawed manner to what they're feeling. I haven't seen this type of subject matter handled as well as it was in this film. Yeah. Not in a long time. Agreed. So for that, I give it uh, a lot of kudos and a lot of props. And with that being said, unless anyone has anything else, I think we can go ahead and go into our final ratings of the movie. Maybe starting first with Kat. Um, I am giving this film four stars because, um, it's, a, it's beautifully done and I wish I could give it five for all of the reasons that we talked about, but I just yeah. can't because it's not a movie for everyone and it's not, it, it will hit certain people, different people differently. And especially if you've experienced something like this or have gone through, a similar situation, um, you know, uh, my perspective as a childless woman to someone who may have gone through something similar will be very different, um, as well as I don't think it's a film that you watch more than once. I mean, unless you're Will, who watched <laughs> it twice, uh, whoa, but you whoa, did it for whoa. research. Um, research and entertainment. Um, okay. I don't know how you were entertained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> okay. I'm being jumped here. All right. <laughs> but just All for right, that, well. just, but yeah, but just yeah. for that, um, I don't think it's something that you watch more than once. And, yeah. and the, the reason why you're not watching it more than once, because it affects you so heavily. I'm still thinking about it and it's been over a week that I've seen it. All right. Well, what do you give it? I give this film a four as well. 
for all the reasons I've said in terms of the cinematography, the, the acting, the story, and, and the fact that this film tells you what happens in the synopsis trailer, the way they set it up, I think is something very difficult to execute and do and, and be successful in. And they did that. Like they really wrecked me the moment that of, of the loss of the baby. And so like, yeah. oh my gosh. So kudos to them. The only obvious like just knockdown is I do agree with Cat too. This isn't a film for everyone, but I just that those vagueness, it was too, it was just those those little questions that kept bothering me throughout the film. Like just I was just like I wanted a little more clarity. I want some a little bit more clarity. You know, my own biased opinion about it, but I just thought it just was a little left to interpretation a little too loosely for me. All right. So I was at a four in spite of a few heavy handed moments, just like that one. And also like there's another scene where uh, Martha is just like staring at this little girl at a at a clothing store. A few other moments that felt a little heavy handed. But honestly, I was able to look past all that. But I could not look past the end, which I felt like was out of a different movie. And for that, I dropped this a half star to three and a half. Uh, it's still an amazing character study that shows how different personalities deal with and respond to grief. And uh, amazing movie, amazing performances. I just wish that ending could be just stricken from the record and just completely removed. But mm. I mean, other than that, I really did love the movie. All right, that was our review of the film Pieces of a Woman. You can watch it now on Netflix. We will take a short break. And we're going to liven things up and uh, have some fun because uh, we're going to be listening in on a pre-recorded interview that I had with Joe Seo from Cobra Kai. Stay tuned. I thought I was doing the right thing. But I failed you. The truth is, you got soft and we paid the price. You want Cobra Kai? It's yours. And these kids got into trouble was because of us. We can't let them suffer because of our issues. The only way to end this is by working together. So, what do you say? Your enemies think they're the hero, and you're the villain. There is no good. Look at this freak. There is no bad. Only weak. But strong. What are you, Tango and Cash? <laughs> no, Tango and Cash were narcotics detectives. All right, everybody, welcome back from break. We have a very special guest with us. We have Joe Sale from Cobra Kai on with us right now. How's it going, Joe? I'm good, Myron. Uh, thank you for having me at Film Drifters. So I wanted to just ask you first off, we're obviously in a pandemic, if, if you didn't know. Uh, yeah. Just wanted to ask you what you've been doing during these crazy times. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of movie watching. I've been studying a lot. I've been trying to, you know, um, I have had a lot of auditions, also self-tapes. Yeah, and I have a lot of people that um, I know that care. So, yeah, there's things that I have to do, for instance, like help someone build their home. <laughs> I've been doing some construction <laughs> wow. work. I've been, yeah, it's just a lot of things that I've been keeping myself busy with. Before we talk about Cobra Kai, I wanted to back things up a little bit. Uh, you've been mm -hmm. acting steadily for a while, but it seems mm -hmm. as though you really came on everyone's radar with your performance of David Cho in a film called Spa Night, where you played a closeted Korean-American teen that takes a job at a Korean spa to help his family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you won the Special Jury Award for Breakthrough Performance at Sundance for that. So congratulations on that. Definitely that experience of filming that with Andrew Ond, uh, the director of Spa Night, was incredible. Well, when I first got the script, it was something that was somewhat foreign in mm -hmm you know, Hollywood, because you see, you see a full body character, you get what I mean? Like yeah, this character of David Cho, he has a family, he has mom and dad, and they will be portrayed on screen. Yeah. The, you have this family dynamic, you have um, David just growing up with friends. And, you know, like, you see a full body character, you see like his the good and bad side of David. I think it's something that a lot of um, Asian Americans or even immigrants in the U.S. are they would be willing to see because it's so um, different and fresh. Yeah, definitely and, different. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, I was 
I felt blessed to be a part of it. Um, I jumped yeah. at the opportunity to work on that. Had some questions for you as well. I mean, like your character doesn't say very much. All of your performance is pretty much, I feel like, internalized in you know the posture and, and the actions. And uh, you say so much with a look. So going back to the script, when you say you got it, obviously he doesn't say very much. But the fact that, you know, it, it, like you said, it was a fully fleshed out character, right? Uh, I was just wondering kind of how, how it read on the page. I'm sure that with the context of all the scene and stuff, it was still all there, right? Shoot. Man, I was having so much dialogue in my head. It, <laughs> yeah, it just didn't feel that way. Um, it, it was a, such a loud movie for me. Uh, yeah, it was definitely yeah, an experience. This is something that Asian Americans would love to, every Asian American actor will love to have. In this movie, um, you know, there's a lot of very heavy themes that I think resonate with all of us, anyone that's a Korean American, obviously the idea of wanting to honor uh, your parents, uh, the idea of, you know, kind of living up to their expectations and the expectations of people around you rather than, you know, being who you really are. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, how important is a movie like this for the Asian American community? It's huge, man. Uh, whenever you see like our stories being presented, whether it be a, in a bad light or a good light, in any light, I think is so important because there's so many facets to Asian Amer being Asian American that we can explore. And this is an art form that, you know, if it puts that in the forefront. So hopefully people can see these stories and be encouraged to make stories of their own and see that their lives, you know, their Asian American lives are just as American as, you know, the Caucasian guy next door or Caucasian, you know, stories that we always are so, you know, you know, like uh, attuned to. But I'm just really, yeah, I'm just really think these are the small steps that we need to take. We need to continue to make these types of films that portray Asian Americans and um, put them in the forefront. Because honestly, yeah, we can't, there's no way that um, other people will change things for us. I, I just feel like uh, for Asian Americans and also all the other POC, we have to make our own content. We have to make, push our stories to the front. And um, yeah, I'm so glad to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, I want to actually talk about Cobra Kai now. Um, first, the first mm -hmm. thing I want to ask is, uh, were you a fan of the original movies? You know, I never saw it, so like um, we we actually binged it. Like um, like after I got the role, we all went to uh, Mary's house, and then uh, we actually binge watched uh, Cobra Kai, and. Yeah, it's great. Like uh, we see, we see the transformation in all the main actors. Like uh, for Billy and uh, Ralph, it they're just dude, they're little kids, you know what I mean? That and Karate Kid, and for for us to see them now, we're like, whoa, you know, like yeah, they they, they look the same. I know, <laughs> <laughs> and they're doing the same thing, you know, like it's cool. So um, it's just I don't know. I felt like. It was cool just uh, being a part of this series and this franchise where we're working with living legends in you know Hollywood. So it's definitely a blessing as well. Yeah. So um, I was going to ask you also. I know there are a lot of loyal fans to the movie series. Was there mm -hmm. a drive in you and the production to kind of honor their devotion to the original films, or was it just as important to kind of forge a new path and kind of take the story and you know the characters in a new direction? Yeah, we, we had to honor like whatever it was in the past because the makers of this of Cobra Kai they were epic fans themselves. You know, what I mean, they're super fans themselves of the original Karate Kid, and literally they started writing this show since that time. So during like after they watched Karate Kid, they they thought about you know making this series. They thought about making a Cobra Kai spinoff, and it started. So this is like over 20 years in the making. And um, so definitely they have, if you see Cobra Kai, if anyone sees it, and if the, if anyone are, are fans of the original, you could totally see 
they dig so many, there's so many little nuances that they, you know, have like inside jokes to everything that they show on Cobra Kai. So um, I think that's what makes the series great is because it bridges a lot of the, you know, generation gaps between the OGs to like the younger millennials now, like it's just, they see that and they're like, we kind of don't get it, but even the OGs would get some things and then the, yeah, the younger people will get the other things. So it's actually pretty cool. Like I think the writers and the producers of the show are brilliant and um, yeah, they make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to honor the fans of the past and to kind of bring in a new audience, because what it seems like is there's so many like younger kids uh, and kind of, you know, people that never saw the originals that are huge fans of the show. So to be able to accomplish both of those things, it's it's pretty oh, yeah. amazing, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like John Favala, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that type of brilliance. And I, I'm so happy that, yeah, it's getting this type of reception because, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's an iconic movie se- series and for them to actually make a show that's kind of like all right we're not gonna we're not gonna tone it down we're gonna mm-hmm. try to keep it up there and i think that's amazing and to be yeah. a part of it yeah awesome yeah, it's awesome. yeah so your your character kyler in season three i don't want to give away any plot spoilers but there are some sure. pretty epic fight scenes that you take part in uh, I wanted to ask you about one particular fight. It takes place in a large house and the place gets completely thrashed. What mm-hmm. was it like filming this this huge action set piece? Oh man, it's, it's amazing. Uh, first of all, the choreography and everything was done and it was perfected by um, none other than Hiro-san and Janelle. They're the power couple that coordinates everything. Mm-hmm. And they've won tons of accolades for what they have done in other shows and um, like Ozark, Stranger mm-hmm. Things, and the list goes on. So they are super highly trained um, people. And it was from their imagination, you know, we were able to spew out this uh, fight sequence and it was all, tri- they, you know, the camera was all in one take. Mm-hmm. Um, really fun, really fun way of shooting this action sequence and, uh, I know for season one, there was a epic sequence for at the ca- in the cafeteria, right? And people loved it. So like they wanted to just up their game for every season. So in season three, they want to thrash a mansion, right? So uh, it's actually pretty cool, like seeing crystal tables just being broken and um, people. Yeah, hanging on chandeliers. I don't yeah. know. Like, there's so many things that we did that was so much fun. And um, yeah, I don't know. Unless you've seen it, there's you know when the camera pans and everything, it, it catches everybody yeah, in their yeah, elements. Totally. And yeah. I think that that was so great. And it just uh, yeah, credit all credit goes to the stunt team because they came up um, and. Like as do there are so many things that we did that people don't see. Um, like me sliding, like Kyler was sliding all over the place, trying to get uh-huh. in back of the camera, front of the camera. Um, there were moments where, uh, when the camera was panning, like at the end, panning to Kyler and Sholo fighting, or um, I'm sorry, Kyler and Miguel fighting. Uh-huh. Um, we were just fighting on the coffee table, and then I remember the cameraman; he has to film us. And he turns around to film the entire house and he backs up into us. And so during that time, we had to carry the coffee table right behind him and like stand <laughs> back of the wall. And we're all huddled up, me and Sholo and I, we were just all huddled up in the back. And it's, it's super hot because I'm wearing like a, I'm like, I'm wearing a zip, like, a, yeah, what's yeah, that yeah. called? A jacket. Like a- yeah, like a trainer's jacket. And uh, he's, you know, we were just, you know, in a full out action scene for like a good 30 minutes, you know? So like, we're just like, we're in back at the table, coffee table, holding it up against the wall like this, like super close to our faces. And we're just looking at each other like, all right, on three, one, two, three. And then we put it down right when the cameraman goes forward, steps forward. And then we try to place it right there. And we go back to fighting. And then we're just, I'm like throwing him against the wall and then start punching his ribs. And um, yeah, that's kind of how the cameraman turns back around to show us all, you know, fighting again. I that think insane. those are the moments that 
I don't know. It just it lives on in your memory because it was so much fun to play, yeah. and it also shows you how much dedication not only did the people behind the camera take, but mm-hmm. even for all the actors, we wanted to perfect the scene and to help out with the people, like you know, doing the camera work and everything. It mm-hmm. just shows the um, camaraderie within the group. And yeah. that was something that I could take away as like, yeah, Cobra Kai, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but oh man, so yeah, that fun. scene in particular, that scene in particular, I'm like, dude, these guys are ruthless. They're they're going to, to this house and I'm just like, holy cow, this is kind of going to be like the last straw. And it kind yeah. of, I think, sets up a series of events uh, in the last episode of season three and also sets up kind of what's to come in season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're obviously coming back for season four that I cannot wait for. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, I can't. I can't say yes or no, but uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, definitely. I can, I look forward to everything that they make. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Awesome, awesome. All right, Joe. Thanks so much for for being a part of the Film Drifters. Uh, Cobra Kai season three can be seen on Netflix now, and Spa Night can be seen on Amazon Amazon streaming through a channel called Strand Releasing. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Joe gives a really brilliant performance in that movie. So uh, thanks for coming on, Joe. It was a huge pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Myron, for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in a minute. On Sunday, the 9th of August in North Kensington, a demonstration took place against the police, which degenerated into totally inexcusable violence. There may be some who believe that they have been the victim of injustice at the hands of the police. Others who, like parasites, feed on these beliefs and seek to turn them to their own advantage, deliberately creating hate and violence. These defendants are all guilty of the serious criminal offence. You just heard our interview with Joe Seo. Really looking forward to see what Cobra Kai is going to bring for us in season four. And also excited to see what the future has in store for him. We also listened to a trailer for the film Mangrove, which we will be reviewing next week. And now on to part three of our episode, which is going to be a review of the documentary Assassins. Here's a look at the trailer. Kim Jong-nam has been assassinated. Two women have just been arrested in connection with the murder. Kim Jong-nam was the favorite son of Kim Jong-il, the former leader of North Korea. Kim Jong-nam questioned his brother's legitimacy. He would be considered a threat by Kim Jong-un. He allegedly smeared Viet chemical onto his face. And then he looked into this TV camera. As if, yeah, I just did that, so what? The women claim they are innocent. If found guilty, they face Malaysia's mandatory death penalty. It would look very bad for Malaysia to have somebody murdered in broad daylight at its international airport. We have strong evidence to show that she's been tricked. She was paid a few hundred US dollars. That you come from behind, close somebody's eyes, like guess who I am. So this documentary, it's one of those two good to be true movies that are actually real and it really happened. So this is an account of two women convicted of the assassination of Kim Jong-un's brother, Kim Jong-nam. This film follows the women's trials in an attempt to understand whether they are train killers or simply just pawns. So, Kat, you had this in your list of most anticipated movies of 2021. And after watching this movie, did it live up to your expectations? Uh, short answer, yes. But um, <laughs> I, I honestly, I'm like, I, I'm still speechless by mm. this whole story because there's so many twists and turns. And what's the most upsetting thing thing 
Uh, mm -hmm. Well, actually, I have two. So mm -hmm. um, this happened when Trump was in office for one month, right? Mm -hmm. um, it happened mm -hmm. in February. So we got a snippet of it. I remember hearing, yeah, uh, Kim Jong-nam was assassinated and that's it. So n because of everything that was happening um, in the media with Trump and that what we saw, I like it just I just forgot about it. I didn't know yeah. what was happening. Um, and not that I didn't even want to know. We just forget so much has happened that we forget to follow up on some of the biggest news topics. And then the mm -hmm. second thing that really stood out to me was in the very end when the criminal lawyer of 40 years says that he finds it difficult to say what justice is. And truly, mm -hmm. by the end of this film, I was mm -hmm. once again reminded that we none mm -hmm. of us could really know what justice is. And with all of the yep. current events that are happening yep. right now and have been happening, uh, when it comes to politics and that big of scale in the government, um, yeah. anyone's a pawn. And it's the people who are the most innocent and we're just trying to live their lives. They're the ones who suffer the most. It's so mm -hmm. annoying. It's so Very annoying true. how they, it's like justice is subjective. It's so crazy, just the outcome of it. Because what even, what pissed, this was a great film. Uh, hard to watch though, too. Thank you again, Kat. Uh, but the, 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 the one, the one part that really annoyed the crap out of me was when the North Korean ambassador uh, at the embassy in Malaysia, right? When he, says, oh, uh, the Malaysian government are trying to uh, stick it to us and we find this offensive our violations and rights and they arrested two of our, you know, uh, of our own people, blah, blah, blah. And then what does North Korea do? Oh, okay, well, if you're going to, you know, arrest uh, two of our suspects uh, for the assassination, we're going to keep all yeah. your people at the at the North Korean embassy of, uh, of for, Mala uh, for Malaysians. Yeah, we're going to keep them hostage. And you're just like, wait, what? They kicked out your ambassador to go back home, and you're gonna keep the other seven or not like eight uh, Malaysian um, uh, ambassadors like hostage? Like what the heck? And then all of a sudden, the North Korean suspects who were held uh, who were held uh, for questioning are released, and yeah. and then or traded traded somewhere. for the Malaysian yeah. people, and then all of a sudden you still see these two girls still stuck in jail. And the, the the lawyer said it best. It's like, how are you? How how is this? How is this justice where you're 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 holding key people for questioning, but mm -hmm. but then because of the tension that rises with what North Korea has with the Malaysian people, like okay, well, it's just confusing to me. It just didn't make any sense, and it was so aggravating. I thought there were so many points in this documentary that are facts where you just stop and you go wait, what? Like Kim yeah. Jong-nam losing his succession over him going to Disney in Japan. What? <laughs> yeah. People yeah. being yeah. traded like pawns. And then Kim Jong-un is shaking hands with Trump. We see it. And then Trump tells him that this would have never happened during my presidency. Hey, it did happen during your presidency. He was saying that it would never happen that Kim Jong-nam would be able to trade um, information uh, and like leak it to the CIA during his presidency. But that's what happened. He was the president in office. And right mm -hmm. the day before that was when he was, I guess, caught with a CIA agent. Is that, am I recalling facts correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like so. they, yes. yeah, at the hotel, and then the next day he's leaving the hotel, goes to the airport, and I'm, and then can we just talk about justice and how how in um how in the United States someone like um, Richard Ramirez can be on death row and die from cancer in jail for murdering and raping so many people, but. Um, in Malaysia, if you're found guilty, your mandatory sentence hanged. is you're going to get hanged. What? Yeah. 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 Like these girls clearly had nothing to do with it and they were going to get hanged. But someone like Richard Ramirez, who has all these facts stacked about him, just mm -hmm. dies from cancer in, in jail. 
So the both of you have brought something up about this movie that I actually didn't see. And would you guys say that if you had to encapsulate this movie into a sentence or a statement that that would be it? Is this movie about what justice is, what it looks like? Is that what this movie really is about? On a, like a, on a, on like a philosophical level, yes. Mm-hmm. I think overall, this is a reminder that none of us are really safe. Anyone mm, yeah. could... They were these girls were picked at random. And what I was wondering if they were picked at random because of their circumstances, exactly. because of 100%. the cars that they were dealt, because yeah. you know, one of them wanted to be famous and really wanted to start acting and wanted to be on TV, and the other one just wanted to move her life forward because she dropped out of school after sixth grade so she could work, and then she started. Um, you know, working the streets and ha- it's just it's just these circumstances that that these girls were faced with. They didn't know. They weren't told the truth. I think it's also about the cost of lies, really, because yeah. on every single level, everyone was lying. And the only people who were telling the truth were the girls, um, the victims, the yeah. victims or and the assassins. And, the assassins and the teams who were and their lawyers who were trying to get them out because they were dealing with facts, but everyone else yeah. was just lying. And the cost of yeah. lies is people's lives. All right, I want to talk about one of the main plot points of this movie that we have yet to address. So our two would-be assassins, they believed apparently that they are participating in an elaborate prank show mm-hmm. and that their job was to smear lotion into unwitting people's eyes. And they thought Kim Jong-nam, the mark, was actually an, an actor for them to rehearse on. And they didn't actually know that they had VX chemicals on their hands. Now, well, they also that story didn't is just, know each other. They yeah. were just told there's going to yeah. be another female actress there. Yeah. 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 So I got to ask you guys what you think about this. Because this sounds like completely bonkers. It's one of the things that it's like, it's so ridiculous. It has to be true. Um, there's no doubt in your minds that they didn't know what they're doing, right? No, because you look at, there's evidence of all the CCTVs. Yeah. You see yeah. previous videos of them. The text messages, the text, yeah. The, the, not just even the text messages, but you see them doing it to other civilians within the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I guess, quote unquote, you can call that the training process. Because remember when uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Y, or I forgot, Mr. Chang, said like, hey, I need you to go you know, and, and go up to a person put like lotion on his eyes hold it and then laugh or say sorry and run away and the she, you know the the moment that one of them did do that he, she gets a text saying hey i got scolded by my boss because of you and she says oh why he says because you didn't you you didn't hold press the person's eye hard enough you have to hold it for at least two and three so it was like she was just like apologetic and realizing like okay like this they are sub like not not even realizing that they're being trained and and like basically uh, tricked into like making sure they do it correctly. I don't think both of their brains worked on to scheme like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think both of them were running on survival and providing for themselves or for their families. Mm-hmm. And I concocting that kind of plan to carry out and come out of it alive on the other end. I really don't think um, they, they knew what they were doing. So I have a, I had a hard time really reviewing or critiquing this documentary because first off, I think there's like two kinds of documentaries out there. One where the director makes some bold cinematic choices. Like I'm talking about like there was a documentary called Tower, which was fully animated about a sniper that attacked this Texas university back in 1966. Free Solo, of course, in the way that they filmed the, the climb, and then the act of killing. Very, very bold choices. Then there are other documentaries that feel like extended, almost like news segments. Uh, I feel like Assassin is a lot like that. 
that's not a bad thing at all because the story here is just really, really interesting and really captivating. But yeah, based on that, it was hard for me to really give this movie or documentary a strong critique. All it really does is shines a light on these two characters and what they went through, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, uh, other than just talking about the plot, I had a hard time really saying that uh, I like this about the movie, I didn't like this, I like what the director did here. So yeah, there's not really much of that for me, even though I did really enjoy this watch. All right, with that being said, I want to go ahead and move into our final reviews of the film. I'm going to go first. I, unfortunately, maybe this is a slight cop-out for the reasons I stated earlier on not really being able to critique certain aspects of this documentary that I was, of course, really entertained by. Uh, I can't really give it a rating, so I am giving it not applicable, but if I... I guess, me. I mean, is that a cop-out? <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, we'll take it, sure. I mean, I, mean, I no. guess the question is, I, would you recommend people to watch this? Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend. So I guess if I had to give it a numerical value, it would probably be three or above, I guess. <laughs> so you did rate it. <laughs> You're just yeah, kind of staying I, in the I middle. Know. You're Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I just couldn't really critique the the movie making as much as I could say that this was just a very captivating story. But it was truly entertaining. Yeah. I give it a 4.5. I mean, I, I love documentaries. So, uh, and I have yet to really see a poor documentary. Uh, and for the, most, for the most part, the fact that it's based on actual evidence and actual footage found footage man yeah sign me up i love it yeah i'm giving this four stars um pretty much for the same reason as pieces of a woman um this is not a film that anyone will probably be watching (laughs) it's not for everyone not everyone is going to be watching this the second time it's a story that you watch and you're so in it and it's just like every the all of the twists and turns are are captivating but they're like a one-time twist and turn kind of ride for me for the story for the information we got out of it for the very important messaging um i'm giving it a four nice all right we have spoken, ladies and gentlemen. That was our episode. We will be back with our reviews of the films One Night in Miami and Mangrove next week. Thank you so much for joining us, Kat. It was Ooh. fun as always. The pleasure was all mine, although it was uh-huh. a sad and heavy-filled episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm you have really... no one else but to blame yourself, Kat, right? This is all you, okay? Don't... Well, you did you this did to this yourself. And to you, <laughs> and I'm glad you hopped on the yes. train and we could talk about it um, yeah. in the new year. But uh, yes. We all jumped into our own grief spirals. Thank yes. you. It was fun. Let's do something more fun <laughs> next time, actually. Absolutely. But, on, but Absolutely. honestly, the two films that you did suggest were really good. Thank you. Really good. Very good. Yeah. Right on. Until next time. All right. Until next time, we just want to remind you that it's not so much the destination, but the things you watch and experience along the way. Stay safe, everybody. Take care.